Colossians chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. The apostle writes, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends his greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend, Luke the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you, in turn, read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, over the past three months of this summer, we have been walking as a congregation through this letter of the Apostle Paul to the Colossians, and today we come to its end. Paul ends his letter, as is custom in those days, with a list of greetings. Greetings from people who he is with, who know the congregation he's writing to, and greetings for people in the congregation who he knows and loves. And this might seem like a kind of boring way for us to end what has been an inspiring and theologically rich series. After all the soaring rhetoric that we've heard about the divine nature and the power of the Son of God and our identity as citizens of the kingdom of God, after the inspiring challenge to live our lives in ways that resist the powers and principalities of darkness that rule this world, after the subtle and dramatic subversion of the cultural institutions of injustice and oppression that Paul takes on with conviction and passionate criticism, it may be disappointing 
that our reflection on the themes of being in Christ ends with a meditation on a list of men and women who have long since died and gone to glory. But the apostle has good reason to end it this way. And it seems to me there are two reasons why Paul ends his letters with this list of greetings. First, on a very practical level, this list of names gives Paul a connection, in this case, with a church that he's never met, with a congregation that he has never visited, in a city that he has never traveled to. This reminds the original readers and us today that we are all bound together in this dramatic and amazing project that is the Christian church. By listing the names of people who the Colossian Christians know and love and who they know love them, Paul establishes a relationship that gives context to what he's writing. He's not some random authority figure writing the church from prison who they've never met. He is in relationship with the leaders and mentors and saints who love them and know them and care for them. And that is why he writes to them with such love and devotion himself. Second, on a deeper, more theological level, Paul here at the end of his letter roots all the soaring theology and ethical teaching that he shared with us over the last four chapters in the very real, very true lives and relationships and stories of the people of Colossae. All the words that we have heard about the divine Christ and his kingdom people find their meaning, find flesh in the very real lives of people who the Colossian Christians know and love. We are all bound together in Christ. And so even though I don't know you, Paul says, even though I've never met you, even though I'm in prison and you are miles away from me, we are one in Christ. And because of that relationship, because of our shared story, because of our shared citizenship, because of our shared relationships, I love you and I care for you as Jesus Christ loves you and cares for you, as these people love and care for you. Paul roots all his theology, all his ethical teaching, all his rhetoric about our identity in Christ in relationship, in story. He shares stories of suffering, of his own suffering in prison for the sake of the gospel, and Aristarchus, his fellow prisoner, who is in prison with him. Paul shares stories of fractured relationships, of his own fractured relationship with the Jewish leaders, his own flesh and blood, his own people who he's had conflict with throughout his ministry. Paul also shares the story in a more subtle way of a fractured relationship within the Colossian church itself as he sends this letter with Onesimus, who is a runaway slave from the household of Philemon, one of the leaders of the Colossian church. And in a separate letter 
to Philemon, Paul lays out a path forward in reconciliation, forgiveness, repentance, and love. And we'll be exploring that letter next Sunday evening. That's an exciting letter. Paul also shares stories of reconciled relationships. And maybe one of the most downplayed surprises of Scripture, Paul encourages the Colossian Christians to disregard the news that they had previously about Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Mark had a very public falling out with Paul that's recorded in the book of Acts. After Mark abandoned Paul while Paul was on a missionary journey, Mark went along with him on this missionary journey and then left him alone while he was out on this missionary journey. But despite their previous conflict, but despite Paul's feelings of betrayal, Paul and Mark here have fully reconciled to such an extent that Mark is now supporting Paul while he's in prison, and Paul commends him to the churches, demonstrating through his own life and through his own relationships that the reconciliation and forgiveness that he preaches in his letters is a real possibility in Christ. And Paul shares stories of supportive relationships, of loving leaders, of caring friends, of those who stand by your side through thick and thin, always lifting you up in prayer. His co-worker Jesus, known as Justice, Luke, the doctor and evangelist, and Damas, his ministry partner. Epaphras, the evangelist and missionary who first shared the gospel with the people of Colossae, who is always wrestling in prayer for the church in his hometown. And two leaders of the small, tight-knit community of Christians in Colossae and Laodicea. Nympha, who supports a small church that meets in her house, and Archippus, called to ministry. These stories, these relationships, these are the flesh and bone reality of church on the ground. Relationships of suffering, relationships of prayer, the reality of broken relationships and reconciled relationships, relationships of support and the faithfulness of devoted leaders These are the real-life relationships that sustain the faith of God's people as we live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sisters and brothers, here is the truth of our passage today. In Christ, we are bound up together. Our story is one story. And the ups and downs of our story together as a congregation, as a church, as a community, as part of the broader church of the people of God, it's all held together in Christ. Our stories of suffering are held in Christ. Our broken relationships are held in Christ. Our stories of reconciliation are held in Christ. Our stories of support and faithfulness and prayer are held in Christ. It's no secret that our church has been facing a long season of transition. And I think it's important to name that as we face yet another extension 
of that season of transition. The move to a three-pastor team four years ago, the long vacancy without a worship coordinator, the building expansion project that's just wrapping up now, and now Pastor Carl's announced retirement next May, sometimes it can feel like things are always up in the air, that we can't get any traction as a church because we're always driving with a spare tire. And even as we face the end of the building project and the upcoming celebration and dedication of this new building in September, we are waiting and praying for the work of council's review team as they look at the details of Pastor Carl's retirement and how we're going to be moving forward as a church into the next chapter of our lives together. But Paul's letter to the Colossians reminds us that the church in this fallen world is always in transition. Things are never stable. We are always facing pressures. Things are always changing. New people join and old friends leave. People are born and people die. Leaders are called and ordained and serve their calling and retire. And the church endures. The church endures. The church endures through these prayer-infused relationships in Christ. People of God, the power of prayer binds us together to heal, to unite, to give purpose and perseverance in the face of the pressures that surround us, to sustain us in relationships of love and grace. And this is what Paul is getting at here at the end of his letter. Paul and Aristarchus in prison, praying constantly for the people of God, the faithful devotion of Epaphras, who is always wrestling in prayer for his for his fellow Christians in Colossae, the love and devotion of Tychicus and Onesimus and Mark and Justice and Luke and Damas and Nympha and Archippus, who are united in prayer even when they are miles apart. People of God, when we pray for one another, we are united in Christ. And so my question to you, as we prepare to enter another year of transition, another year of change, is this. What is your prayer for community Christian Reformed Church? What is your prayer? The prayer that God has placed on your heart, the prayer that keeps you up at night as you worry and pray and hold this congregation up in your heart. What is your prayer for this church? We're actually going to take some time to write our prayers. And there are some people who have uh, post-it notes that they're going to pass out. Um, so if you guys would get up and start distributing those at this time, uh, that would be lovely. Thank you so much. Um, as we continue our journey, 
as God's people in this world? What has God laid on your heart for this community? Where do you feel God calling you to lift up this church in prayer? And so there's going to be post-it notes passed down your aisle. And so please take one and pass it to the next person and take some time to write. To th- you can take some time to think if you need to and take some time to write out the prayer that God has laid on your heart for this church, for this people, for this congregation, for this small part of the body of Christ. What is your prayer for community CRC? I know some, some of you bring pens to church, and so some of you don't. And so if you could share your pens with the people nearby. Take some time, take a moment in prayer if you need to, write your prayer for this church as members, as friends, as visitors, as people who love this congregation. What is your prayer for community Christian Reformed Church? You can share them with the people next to you if you need to. Pray together. You don't have to. You can write your name on it if you want, but you don't have to. Hold on to it because we'll be using it uh, a little later on in the service. What is your prayer for this church?
Almighty God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we lift up our prayers to you. In these stories and relationships of suffering, of brokenness, of reconciliation and forgiveness and support and love, you sustain and lift up your church for life in this world. So give us the strength to stand firm in troubled times, to pour out your praise and blessing to the world around us that we may be light in the darkness, a people set apart for your special purpose. Receive these prayers, O Lord. These prayers that we offer from the bottom of our hearts. These prayers of hope and trouble, of lament and promise, prayers of redemption, prayers of worry and fear and joy and praise and glory. Receive the prayers of your people, O Lord. Hear and answer us. For you are a God who hears and answers our prayers. And in this sure hope, we lift up our prayers to you. Bless your church, O Lord. And lead us into all righteousness by the precious blood of your Son, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people said, Amen.